Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Good to see you. Happy fall. And uh, thanks for being here and participating in worship, whether being here in person in this site, whether North Avenue at home. Thanks and good morning to you. A couple of things I got to just uh, start with and get off the, you know, get, get it off my chest here. One, I'm wearing black today. <clears throat> I'm in mourning. I've been wearing black since, uh, since Tuesday. <clears throat> when, uh, you know, uh, the other team won. Um, the Red Sox, the Red Sox won, beat the, they beat the Yankees. So, <clears throat> you're, I was going to say I hate you, but I can't say that in church. Um, you people who are applauding. But you know, it's interesting, and through the years of working, we're helping people through grief, one of the things I tell them is you can't grieve forever. Can't grieve forever. You can't mourn forever. So someone has said to me, Well, how long are you going to mourn? I said, Well, right up, you know, a couple more days till the Red Sox lose. Then the mourning will be over. <clears throat> so, so, no, hey, listen, I'm a good sport. Sincerely, if you're a Red Sox fan, congratulations. And I say this, you guys should have won. And I, I'm not sure you're, you should go further, but you should have won. And so that takes care of that. One of the other reasons I'm wearing black, kind of with a smile on my face, though, with some pain, is uh, you should know uh, that uh, Pastor Ron, if you don't know or don't remember, Pastor Ron's retiring. Pastor Ron and Nancy are retiring. They're here for a couple more Sundays, and then they're heading to Florida. Pastor Ron's been with us over 20 years. He's been up here leading worship. And I want to give you this heads up, because we thought about with them leaving, you know, in most settings, you know, you have a last Sunday, and that last Sunday comes, you're up, you're done, or we said goodbye, and it's over. And it's kind of a pretty abrupt ending uh, in, in one sense. Number two, for their sake, an emotional ending. I mean, it's like you come this last day, and it's just, it's just right there and done. And on top of that, they've got some family coming in to help them pack up that week. So quite literally, their last Sunday will be, his last Sunday up front will be October 31st. And the next morning, like at the crack of dawn, 4 a.m., you know, they are heading to Florida. So that's kind of a, a kind of a, a tough ending if you do it all one day. So what we decided to do is going to stretch this out a little bit. Next week, we have a reception happening every service throughout the morning. A reception uh, will be up in, the, up in the video cafe, and we want everyone to stop in and just thank them and say goodbye. However, we always hear this, you know, oh, I missed that Sunday. I couldn't be there. So that's just next week. So we're going to have a reception next week. But he's going to be here two more Sundays, and the last Sunday I'll certainly will say, will say goodbye officially. But that way, it gives them some time. And we talked about it. So does that help? That would be really helpful. There's nothing worse than kind of getting ready for that day and having that be one packed emotional day. So let's just make them emotional wrecks for three weeks, for three Sundays. <laughs> Let's just wreck them as best we can over a longer period of time. And uh, so make sure you, you uh, pass along to them your thankfulness for them and uh, ask God's blessing over them as well. Uh, I see Joe and Sandy Moore are visiting. Pastor Joe and Sandy Moore are visiting. So good morning to them. For those... For those who are watching this, you don't get to see them in person, but good to see, good to see them. Uh, and just one final thing. So the other issue I'm wearing black is I, I lost the men's golf tournament this past week. Uh, my team was slated to win. Is your, is your son here? Is Matt here? So Dwight Safer is head of our men's ministry, and his son, Matt, who's a high school student, uh, brought three other high school students, and they won the tournament. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, okay, that's good, but here's the problem I have. Kids should be in school. <laughs> I'm saying right now, 
I'm just saying it right now. I think we got to pull the trophy because these high school kids should have been should have been in school. That's problematic for me. Hey, let's get in. Let's get in this morning to God's word in a, in a sense. Let me qualify that. So we're going to continue our series this morning. I have a question. Now we're talking specifically to people who are not followers of Christ. They've not made the decision to follow Jesus. We've been talking about this for the past couple weeks. Um, Not made a decision to say yes to following him. In fact, a lot of people will say, well, I really can't follow him. I really can't make the decision because I have some questions. Uh, maybe more than one question or question or question or question. So we understand that in all of our lives, there are some questions, things we don't get. And we're talking to people not only who have not made that decision yet, but we're also talking to all of us who many of us have made that decision to follow Christ. And the reason we're talking about these things is so that we know better how to relate. We know how to communicate. We know how to walk things through and talk things through and better understand where they might be coming from. So that's kind of the background of all of this. But today I'm going to take a, full, a totally different approach than what I've been in the past couple of weeks. Now, in the past couple of weeks, we have been learning that no one comes to a place of following God of giving their life to Jesus Christ because they have checked off all the boxes of all the questions they've had. And, and as we've talked about that, just about everyone I've talked to kind of nods and says, I get that, exactly right. You know, some of you who had these Herculean questions about God before you gave your life to him would say, you know what, it was not a matter of someone answering every single question and then I was in. It, it never happens that way. I, maybe, maybe, maybe it has, but it seldom happens that way where someone has all of these obstacles, somebody came, challenged the obstacles, answered the questions, and they go, ah, okay, I'm in. It doesn't usually go that, that way. And what we've learned about this is that no one is debated into the kingdom of God. No one is argued into following Christ. I mean, no one is answered their way in, meaning you don't just give a bunch of answers and someone says yes. What we learned about it is this. If someone's going to give their heart to Jesus Christ, if someone's going to say, I'm going to follow God, it's because something has happened in their life that makes the whole thing personal. It makes the whole thing personal. They have, they've had some kind of interaction, some, something's happened where all of a sudden they're not talking about this abstract thing of, of, of what it means to be a Christian. All of a sudden they have to somehow deal with the personal nature of God because God's a very personal God. So that's what we've been talking about along the way. But this morning, a little different approach even yet from that. This morning I want to talk about the problem with being an atheist. My title this morning is The Problem with Being an Atheist, The Problem with Atheism. Now, right up front, I got to tell you a couple things. Right up front, I have to tell you the first thing is this. I'm not going to be using my Bible this morning or the Bible in my whole sermon today. Yeah, I know. So let me qualify. Let me tell you why I'm telling you this. Now, the first reason I'm telling you this is so that you don't have to send me an email, a phone call, or a letter that says, you didn't use your Bible today. Because I know that already. I told you that I'm not doing that. So that's the first reason. That's the first reason. Stick with me for the other two, and I think you'll get a little comfortable. The second reason that I'm telling you this is I want you to remember something I've said countless times before, and that is though everything in the Bible is true, right? I mean, everything in the Bible is true. I mean, there, there's, no, there's nothing that's not true. There's nothing, no lies. There's nothing that, that's false. Nothing that's ever been even been found to be even remotely um, untruthful. Everything in the Bible is true, but not all truth is only found in the Bible. There's truth all around us that declare the, the very goodness and nature of God, the holiness of God. So everything in the Bible is true, not all truth is found in the Bible. I mean, for instance, I could get you a, trig- a trigonometry, uh, trig- trigonometry textbook and everything in there would be true. I could get you a calculus book, everything would be true. Uh, chemistry book, 
It would all be true. History book, some of it would be true. <laughs> Political science book, none of it would be true. But, but back to a geometry book, it would be all be true. I mean, so you get it that there's all sorts of truth in the world in multiple places that have nothing to do with the Bible directly. Let me give you the third reason. This is one of the most critical reasons why I'm not going to use the Bible this morning. Third is we live in a post-Christian world. Now, I want to make sure you understand this, that we live in a post-Christian world. Specifically, we live in, a, in the Northeast. And the Northeast and the Northwest are almost identical in the fact that every researcher, every biblical researcher, every Christian researcher says those two areas of the country are absolutely, absolutely post-Christian. Now, you need to know all of Europe is post-Christian. Meaning, there used to be a day, and, and in, my, in my lifetime, when I was a kid, everyone believed in God. Everyone on my street, if they didn't go to church at all, they believed in God. They didn't follow God, but they believed in God. Everyone had a Bible, even if it was just a, you know, 30-pound family Bible, but they had one. And that has all changed. We are no longer in a culture where God is a common reference point where there's a common moral compass, where there's a common thought process that even though we want to follow God, even though I don't read the Bible, people can quote the Bible and, kind of, and say, well, it's a, it's a good book. But we don't live in that world today. And just so you know, so we got Europe is completely post-Christian, Canada post-Christian, the United States is on the way. And it's not going to be reversed. We have two pockets, northeast, northwest, where we are clearly post-Christian. There is, of course, the Bible Belt, and it's a big Bible Belt, and it's a big belt, where there's still that sense, and yet that's even shrinking more. So I say that for this reason. So what happens is this. I sit down to talk to someone. You sit down and talk to them about spiritual things, about God. They bring something up, and you begin to have that dialogue, and you say, well, the Bible says, they look at you, and they say, I don't believe the Bible. Now what are you going to do? You see, so many Christians stall right there. Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible. See, if everything that we're going to say to someone is completely predicated on the fact that we're going to use the Bible and the Bible only, then we don't have many conversations to have, especially in our area. In our area, you're, you're stumped, you're, you're stuck. So I, I need us to understand that as those questions come along, people have more and more questions. They're willing to dialogue. They're willing to have a, a, a talk about spiritual things. But you can't start from a reference point that says, well, the Bible says, because they reject it. So you can debate all you want about what the Bible says. And, and please know about the scriptures are a foundation for all that we are, all for, for life and, and for how we are to walk with God in our, in, our, in, our, in our walk with God. I mean, what holiness means, Christian living, all of that scripture is the foundation. You're not in God's word every day. You need to know you're in trouble. But when I start to think about how do I relate to the people around me, I have to go beyond that a little bit. So that's why. So stick with me this morning. Stick with me to the very, very end. Now, there is no question that more and more people have been and are moving away from God. I mean, again, look in the past 50 years, you will see an entire country moving away from spiritual things, moving away from God. Now, truthfully, most of them are really move away from, moving away from religion, though they can't tell the difference. 
But for many, many people, they're moving away from what they see as the church and the failures of the church. For many people, they're moving away from what they see as what Christians look like and what Christianity looks like. So they're moving away from, from Christians. But the reality of it is there is a movement away from God. Um, clearly it's been taking place and it continues. But there's a key thing that you have to know if we're going to live in this world and reflect God well and speak to the spiritual issues well. And that is this. You cannot move away from something without also moving towards something else. That's kind of important for you to get. You can't just move away from something. If we say people are moving away from God, the better question for us would be to say, okay, well, what are they moving toward? If they're moving away from God, what are they moving toward? So we have more and more people that are moving toward the idea that there is no God. That's the thought process. They are moving further away from God and they're moving towards the idea that there is no God. They say, well, I don't even believe in God anyway. Now, before they get there, there's this new category that researchers have found and that's the nun category. They move into the nuns. Now, make sure you spell it correctly. It's not N-U-N as in nuns, it's N-O-N-E, nun. Because if you say, well, where do you stand in scriptural things, biblical things, where God, where? none. I don't believe in, I don't believe in any of it. I don't, I'm just, I'm a nun. Uh, none of the above. But shortly after the nun comes this move towards a position that says, well, I don't think there's a God anyway. But the truth of it is that atheism is no longer a simple disbelief in God. For most of us here, I'd say, well, define what an atheist is or an atheism, what atheism is. Most of it say, well, it's the belief that there's no God. But you need to know it's not that. It is, it is so much more than that. You know, atheism is actually a very, very complex belief system that if really believed and if really actually practiced, that it actually logically leads to some very unsettling conclusions. You see, just to simply say, I don't, I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist. It's not that simple. In fact, what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to quote, and I'm going to share with you some of the main tenets of atheism, and I'm going to share with you what some of the, the leading brains on atheism have said, what atheism really is, because what I've found is that most people who would say, well, I think I'm an atheist, or I lean that way, don't really know what they're saying they are. I would also say that most Christians have no clue, has to have a dialogue with someone who actually is following a, a, the religion of atheism. So you heard me say that correctly. Atheism is really a religion. It's a religious belief system, just like Christianity. But most people have never taken the time to honestly say, well, if I'm going to say that I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, well, what am I really saying? What am I actually saying I don't believe? So this morning, I'm going to try to explain what it really means to, be, to embrace atheism. Now, make sure you get this. This is not an argument against atheism. It is not my goal to convince anyone that if you happen to be an atheist or you're watching this because someone told you to, you got to hear this thing. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to say atheism is wrong. That is, this is not my, my pitch against atheism. So let's jump in. Let's kind of walk through this this morning. There are six main tenets of atheism that I have to make sure that we understand. They need to be understood. If I'm going to say I'm an atheist, then I believe the following. Six things an atheist believes. Now, the first three, I would say, are kind of brand, are brand new. 
new thought process. Now, by new, it's not me. This is not original to me. But there are some modern-day thinkers that have kind of created a, some new thought process of what atheism means. And I'm talking about atheists, not Christians defining this. Atheists have defined this. The other three, you know, I'll go through those more, a little more quickly towards the end. Let's get to the first one. The first tenet of atheism, if you're going to be an atheist, the first tenet is this. You have to believe in the illusion of the mind. That's the first one. You have to believe in the illusion of the mind. If there is no God, if there is no creator, then this world is and can only be a place of pure chemistry. Now think about this for this moment. If there is no God, if there is no uh, greater being, no creator that instills in us the idea of soul, that instills in us the idea of being, then everything is just biology. Everything is just physics. Now, in a world where there is nothing but biology, nothing but chemistry, nothing but physics, there is no room, there is no explanation for this intangible thing called the mind. There's no good explanation of how that comes into this process. If it's all just biology, then where does the mind come from? Now, look at me for just a moment. Just look real closely at me. Not not that close. feels uncomfortable. But um, if there is no God... There really is no me. I'm just, I'm just a pile of chemistry. That's all that I am. I'm just a body. See, if there is no creator in this piece, then part of that problem comes is that, then where where does this mind come in? Where does this being come in of who we are? So there's no real me. There is really no real you. Uh, the mind is just an illusion. This idea that, that we have this mind, this capability, it's just kind of an illusional thought, if you will. Now, we know what our brains are. We got the brain piece. We get that. Even though some of us don't use them, we still have them. Like the guy that I was driving by, by behind yesterday, I know he has them. He just chooses not to use them. So we get the brain piece. I got it. We know how that works. But this thing that makes you you is not your brain, right? See, here's the unique, about, unique thing about this. The thing that makes you you, the thing that identifies you as who you are and how you think and how you operate and your personality, all of those things aren't coming from the brain. It's coming from this intangible thing. And so there's got to be, so it, it must be just an illusion. There's, there's no good explanation for it. One of the modern-day atheists is a guy by the name of Christopher uh, Hitchens. Uh, He died in 2011. He was a journalist. Uh, He was a prolific writer, but a devout atheist. He had had died of cancer, and when he learned that he had cancer, it was going to be terminal, he had decided to write a book. He decided, actually, what he would do, he would journal his final days. He would journal the process of death, and so he did that. And in his book, he records all of the, all of the circumstances uh, with his doctors and interactions. In fact, towards the later days, I'm told that for most of this, he was just dictating to his wife who, who wrote down what he said. But he's, kinda, he's, he's trying to chronicalize and, and to record all the circumstances that's been going on, all the conversations. Now, this is interesting. So as he's walking through this, the doctors would say to him, so Christopher, your body is fighting the cancer, but your body's losing. Your body is trying to overcome this, but it can't. Your body is reacting to the, the, to the chemicals, to the chemotherapy. Your body is doing this. Your body is doing that. They keep responding to him and explaining to him what his body was going through to the point that he said this. In the middle of the conversation, he finally says this. I finally said to my doctors, I don't have a body. I am a body. 
Now think about that. He says, stop talking to me like I have a body. He says, I don't have a body. I am a body. See, if you're really going to buy into atheism, then you believe that it's just chemicals. It's just biology. That there's really no me. His argument was, there's, there's really no me here. Stop saying that I have a body. I am a body. That's what I am. That's the first tenet of atheism. If there is no God, if everything is chemistry and biology, um, and if it's all driven by the laws of physics, then it's true there really is no me. There really is no Scott. Uh, Again, I'm just, the the, the real me inside is kind of an illusionary piece. This week, this week, I'd like you to go through life and just for a day or two, I want you to say, I'm going to go through this week, this, this week and I'm going to act as if I'm just a body. I'm going to go through this week and I'm going to, I'm going to go through this just thinking that there's really no me, there's really no you, there's no personality. Your kids are just bodies occupying space, which is, I wrote that, I thought that might be true. Um, at, that might be true at times, but even they have personality in that space. But I, I want you to try to go through the week. Take a day and say, I'm going to go through this day as if no one exists as who they are. They just happen to be a body occupying a space. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. It's, it's too hard. Because this whole idea that there's a mind, there's a person, there's a personality, something that goes beyond bi- biology is so ingrained into our life experience. It is not taught. It just is. It's reality. You can't go through the day and just be a body and nothing else and treat other people that way. It's impossible to do. But Christopher Hitchens is right. If there is no God, then there really is just a body. That's his claim, not, not mine. So that's the first tenet. The first tenet is that the mind, some would say, is then an illusion. It's not real. It's just, it's an illusion that there's a mind and there's who we are. That's what they would say. Let me give you the second tenet of atheism. The second tenet is the illusion of free will. The idea of free will. Uh, In a non-created world, in a world where there is no creator, God did not put things in place, in a world of purely physics and laws of physics, there is no room for free will because one of the basic tenets of atheism is it's all determinism. It's all determinism, which means that you're not making the decisions that determine the outcome. It's all been predetermined or it's determined beyond your ability to participate in it. And that's what atheism actually believes at its core. Everything is determined, everything. You may have thought that you, that you chose who to, be, who to be married to, but you didn't. It was, it was determined. You may have thought that you chose uh, what you ate for breakfast this morning, but you didn't. It was determined. You may be thinking right now where you're going to go to eat after the, the service today, and you're thinking you've got choices. You really don't have a choice. It's all determined. And when you get to the place where you thought you voted to go, you actually didn't vote. You were going there anyway. That's determinism, that we don't have any free will in this. It's called determinism because free will doesn't work in a universe that is driven and controlled by the laws of physics. It doesn't work. In a place where there's nothing but biology and the laws of physics that dictate what happens next, there's absolutely no room and no explanation for free will. It doesn't fit into the picture. Laws of physics don't allow for there to be choices. It's all determined. Stephen Hawking, brilliant Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant people of our time and one of the most brilliant people who have ever lived. He is a devout, devout atheist, and he's wholeheartedly believed in determinism. He said this, 
Everything about the human experience is determined. And then he said, and because it's determined, it doesn't matter. He said, everything in the human experience is determined. That's just the basic law of physics. And because, it, uh, because it's determined, then it really doesn't matter. And then in that same talk, he then said this jokingly. He said that because it's determined it doesn't matter. And then he said this. I have noticed, however, that even people who claim that everything is determined and that we can do nothing to change it, they still look before they cross the road. Everything's determined, but just before I step on the street, I look both ways. Why? Just walk. Just walk. Don't think about it. Just walk because don't forget, it's all determined. Now listen, guys like Stephen Hawking were brilliant. I'm not. I'm the first to admit, I'm not brilliant. And let's just say for a moment that he's right. Let's just say for a moment he's absolutely right that we are nothing but biology and every single thing in this world is determined. But what he's espousing is actually unlivable. It's impossible for you to live it out. If someone says, hey, I'm a devout atheist and I believe in determinism, and if I'm with them right then and a car's coming, I say, well, step now. No, I'm not going to do that. Why? I hit by the car. Well, you know, time out. You see, it's impossible to live it out. Now, some people, even in the church, have a theology that doesn't believe in free will. They don't have the free will. There's a five-point Calvinist, Reformed theology, no free will. But quite honestly, if you take a step back and look, we exercise that free will all the time. Even that when we don't really hold to it, it still gets exercised. Now, and by the way, if you're going to be an atheist, you decide that God is not in the picture then the logical consequence of your belief system is no free will, it's all determined. But you actually can't live it out. You cannot walk through the day to day without making decisions. And those decisions are based on free will. But please know at the heart of atheism is this idea that there is no such thing as free will. It's all determined. Let me give you the third tenet. The third tenet of atheism is the issue of the illusion of value. The illusion of value, let me explain this a little bit. What is value? Well, if I had a box up here and I said, I got a box full of value, what would be in it? Not one thing. But every single one of us knows that there is value in this world. I'm not talking about money, the value of money. I'm talking about when we look at a person and we say, I value you. We value people. We value things. By that, by things, I mean, we value people, we value work. I mean, you've looked at, you've seen people in the workplace that you say, man, they really have a work ethic. Why? Because they value work. We get that. We value exercise. We value discipline. There's all sorts of things that we place value in. But the concept of value isn't really scientifically plausible because the idea of value really doesn't fit into it's all physics. It's all just biology. If it's all just biology, then there really is no value. Here's the deal. If I'm just a a body, if I'm just a biological mass, and you're just a biological mass, there's no value in you, and there's no value in me. It just doesn't matter. Because there's no heart or soul, there's no value given. Without God, who sets the standard of value, please know that in our world today, in our government, in our culture, the idea of value, you keep tracing it back. Where did value come from? It comes from the idea that there was a creator who actually said, it is good. 
It's a value system that says they are worthwhile. And so we've got this value system of people. But without God, there is nothing that sets the standard. So in fact, value is just what you decide it to be. Value is however you might decide. Let me explain it in a better way if I can. You see, we live in a culture today that is very, very focused on justice and injustice. And should be. I, I should, should back, backtrack that. I don't mean it in any negative way. We should always be in a society that cares about justice. Right? And cares about injustice. Where there is no God, where there is no theism, where there is no one that sets the standard of value and sets the standard that people matter, then you need to understand there's no such thing as justice. Right? Because if there isn't anyone to establish what's just, then it's, justice is just whatever you want it to be. Value is whatever you decide it to be. So it goes like this. So when your biology does something to my biology, and I try to hold your biology accountable for what you've done to my biology, the bottom line is I now want justice, but there is no such thing as justice. And so I could say to you, you shouldn't have done that to me, and you just go, I don't even know who's talking to me, because you have no value. You see, value then is just what we determine it to be in, in, in moment by moment. But justice is only an illusion then. It's just something we've kind of created because there is really no standard for value. I've heard this, probably you have as well. People will say this when they're doing, talking about truth and disagreeing. They'll say something like this. Well, you have your truth, I have mine. Have you heard that before? You know, you have your truth, you have mine. You leave my truth alone, I'll leave your truth alone. Just for the sake of argument, let's just say that works. Let's just say that for truth, we can say that works. But you know where it doesn't work? Justice. Think about it. You have your justice, I have my justice. Well, then that's not justice. If I can do anything to you and it doesn't matter to me, but it matters to you, well, that's, the, that's exactly it. Uh, we all have our own little piece of justice. But you can't say you have your truth, you have, I have mine. And that doesn't work with justice. It doesn't work that way. It can't, maybe it works with truth, maybe, but it can't when it comes to justice. You will never hear anyone say, I have my justice and you have yours. Never. When it comes to truth, you can have your version. But when it comes to justice, we all have that sense. Someone needs to be accountable. And that means there's a value there somewhere. So if, you, if you're just biology, if I'm just biology, and I still feel like there's a sense of justice, that's just got to be an illusion, and you must just don't worry about it, because we're just biology. Here's the point. Let's say all that's true. If there is no God, there's no standard of value, there's no standard of justice. If that's true, then why is it that no one can live it out? It's impossible to live that out. You see, if I'm a true atheist, I shouldn't be upset or call the police if you rob me. Because, one, it doesn't matter. I was going to get robbed anyway. It was just determined. You know, someone was going to rob me. But on top of that, there's no sense of justice. Now, those first three were a little more complex. You have to think about them a little bit. The last three a little quicker, um, and they've been around for a while. The, the, the fourth tenet of atheism is that something came from nothing. The fourth tenet of atheism, if you're going to say, hey, I'm an atheist, there is no God, then you, have, you, you believe this great mystery. And the great mystery is what happened before the Big Bang. 
See, the great mystery in the whole picture of the evolutionary process is what happened before the Big Bang. We have a theory of what happened after the Big Bang, but no one can tell you what happened before the Big Bang. Now, technically, you can't even say what happened before because the word before, the word before is actually a term that relates to time and matter and space. And according to the theory of evolution, all that, we really didn't have time, matter, or space until the Big Bang. So you really can't ask the question what happened before it because before it, nothing existed. And so you stop there. But you still have to come up with the answer that says, but, but wait a minute, where did it all come from? You see, before the Big Bang, there was nothing. But then after the Big Bang, then comes in the laws of nature, laws of physics. But the, before the Big Bang, we can't explain any of it. There's absolutely no explanation where it all came from. It just was. Well, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit any narrative that it just was. Atheist Richard Dawkins admits the problem. He says this. He's a full-blown atheist, but he says this. Admittedly, the cosmology is waiting on our own, our next Darwin. And what does that mean? It means this. He said, Darwin came along and Darwin said, hey, I got a theory that I got a theory of natural selection and evolution that explains how we all got here from this point. But Darwin said, I have no idea what happened before that. I just got a theory from this point. And what, Hawking, what uh, Dawkins is saying is this. He's saying, we still can't explain what happened before that. We're just waiting for our next Darwin. We're waiting for someone. We're hoping that someone will come along and say, hey, I got it. I got a theory is what happened beforehand that makes sense and that is even somewhat defensible. We're still waiting and hoping that someone can explain this because right now we have no explanation of how something came out of nothing. There's no good explanation. Let me give you the next tenet of atheism. The next tenet is this, that, that first life came from no life. The, uh, the fifth tenet says that if you take God out of the picture that, and, you, and you, have, you have to believe that first life came from absolutely nothing living. Now, you got you to gotta work. I got to tell you, I did, the, the other day I was working on this and I wrote, it down, wrote some of these things down. You got to know, I spent hours this week trying to get my head around some of these things. Um, I mean, quite literally, just sat there staring at the wall, kind of going, okay, did you say that right? Are you getting this right? Are you understanding it? And this is one of those things that something came from nothing, that you can take absolutely nothing, you know, nothing at all, and have it have life in it. And, and now, I know you get it, but I mean, we're, we're talking that there, there, there's no microorganisms, there's no single cell living things, there's nothing living. Absolutely, it's lifeless matter. And yet, but, but from lifeless matter comes all of this. So at the core of atheism, you have to believe that something came from nothing. One author put it this way. I love this. You have to believe that from nothing, from lifeless matter, we went from lifeless matter to the digital elegance of DNA. He said, just think about that. If you're going to hold to that tenet, you have to believe that we came from absolute lifeless matter to the digital elegance of DNA. You see, in atheism, you have to believe that even though with all of our advanced science, all of our advanced intelligence, we should be able to replicate the idea that we can take something that's absolutely lifeless and somehow make life come out of it. And we can't. 
and we can't even begin to understand it. From lifeless matter to digital elegance of DNA. Man, what a just a great statement. So you have to believe then, if you're going to be an atheist, one of the problems with atheism is you have to believe then that something came from absolutely nothing. The next one is this, the sixth tenet of atheism is this, that natural selection is responsible for all, for all life after first life. Of course, one of the main tenets is this, so somehow the bang happened and somehow all of this stuff that had absolutely no living thing in it, make sure you get that right, not one living cell, somehow it all connected in such a way and from that first life that came from absolutely nothing, then all other life came as the result of this idea of natural selection. Natural selection is responsible for all the life that we see after first life. Now, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. He talks about natural selection, and he's trying to bring some life and emotion into it because quite honestly, if you're going to believe, if you're going to hold to the idea that we as people are just biology, then it's pretty lifeless. I mean, it's pretty hard to get up here and give you a big an emotional push that you're just nothing. You know, you're just nothing and you have no value. Let's go out and conquer the world. I mean, it's hard to get you all excited up for that. So in his book, he's writing and hoping, and I think that's the intent, to bring some life and energy into it. And here's what he writes. Here's what he writes. He said this. Think about it. On one planet and possibly the only planet, one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock. Molecules that would normally make nothing more than a complicated chunk of rock gather themselves together in chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, and hearing. He's talking about us. He said, imagine that there happens to be a planet maybe the only planet, a planet that's in just the right place where a bunch of rocks come together and they come together in this rock-sized matter with such staggering complexity that they can jump, swim, fly, see, and hear, capturing and eating other such animated chunks of complexity, capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with, with yet other chunks of complex matter. That's an exact quote. Now, when you read that and you hear that, don't you kind of feel like at first that he'd be making fun of it? I mean, wouldn't you think that'd be the kind of thing some preacher would go up and say, imagine, you blah, blah, but he, he wasn't. Please know he wasn't. What he was attempting to do is to bring some emotional life. He was trying to bring the awe moment, the oh, look at that, trying to bring that into the picture. Now, I look at it, I go, oh, come on. But he's not trying to give it, he's not trying to make fun of it. He's trying to give it some heart. He's trying to give atheism some emotion, uh, this, this, wow, what an amazing feeling. And then he finishes with this. Thanks to Darwin, we now know essentially how the trick was done. So he gives this picture of it all, and then he says, man, we, thanks to Darwin, we now know how the trick was done. No, we don't. We don't know how the trick was done. I mean, we do, but we don't. Not according to that. Meaning this, he says, um, this wonderfully complex, unbelievable world that we live in, thanks to Darwin, we now know it's all a matter of natural selection. It's just a matter of survival of the fittest and all of those things. Now, the one thing I will say about natural selection that I like is it makes me feel really good that I'm still here. 
right? I mean, look at this. I mean, this has been naturally selected. I mean, come on. So yeah, yeah, that's got to make you feel good. But that's the piece then, that through this invisible force of natural selection, the simplest form of life has become every single form that we see today. That's what they would hold to. So let's wrap this up. So why am I telling you all this? Why am I telling you about the six main tenets of atheism? I said before, as I stated, that it really is not an argument against atheism, though I admit it's kind of hard for me to, to not lean in directions as I'm trying to talk in an unbiased way. I said it's not a case against atheism, but make no mistake, it is a case for God. It's a case for God. You see, most people who would say, and you might be here watching or listening, I'm an atheist, don't even know what it is they're really saying that they, that they ascribe to. And what I have given you is not, is not made up by me. I mean, some of the most brilliant minds in the world, most brilliant atheists have said, this is what atheism is. What's most interesting, that most, that most um, atheists weren't always atheists. What's kind of interesting is that most would say, well, I believed in God, I went to church, and now I'm an atheist. It doesn't work that way, I got to tell you. I mean, you seldom have someone say, oh, really, I really believe in God, and now there is no God. It really doesn't go that way. See, if you've lost your faith in God, if you won't place your faith in God, or you have a friend or a family member who, who you're talking to, and they're saying, I, I'm not going to place my faith in God. I, I don't believe that there's a God. Here's my thought. People walking away from God usually has nothing to do with their total allegiance to atheism. People who reject God are not rejecting God because they've heard these six tenets and they go, that's exactly what I believe. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. It's not like you had this great faith in God one day in your life and all of a sudden you read one book, took one class and it all changed you. It's not like you were already, a person was already saying yes to Jesus and then they read a pamphlet and they went, oh no, no, that's what I believe instead of that. Nope. A person's lack of faith in God typically has nothing to do with where first life came from or whether that uh, you're here because natural select selection selected you. It just doesn't. The fact is, as I went through these, each of these tenets here in the room, watching online, wherever it might be, chances are good as I walk through those, honestly, some of you were probably thinking, well, I don't believe in that. I mean, even a person who would say, I'm an atheist would hear that and say, I don't, I don't believe in that. I certainly can't live that. I mean, many people say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And then some would even say this, Scott, I cannot believe in God and I don't have to believe in those things you just said. Well, I just want you to know that some brilliant atheists say you do. Not me, but brilliant atheists would say, if you're going to buy into atheism, you got to buy it all. You can't buy just some of it. So the point is that none of these issues are the real reasons why someone says no to God. None of them. So what's the reason? So with this, we'll wrap up. Through the years, I, I um, love to have conversations with people. And um, almost the most frequent, I should say, comment that I'll often hear when people find out that I'm a minister, if I'm in mixed group. One of two things. They either go, oh, yeah, my, uh, my first cousin's a minister. I got, I got three nuns and a priest in the family. And that's one of the first things <laughs> that happens. The other one that happens is they go, well, I got to tell you, I don't even believe in God. And I have to tell you, one of the conversations that I most legitimately enjoy 
is when someone will say, I don't believe in God. And I, there's no trap. You just say, I don't trap people. I don't try to debate people. But I will say my, one of my mo- most common statements will be, you know what? Tell me about that. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. Now, now what's interesting is that they have a God they don't believe in. Now, I'm not trying to play, I'm, I'm not trapping them. Now, it's going to sound like, a, but I, I'm saying this to you, but I wouldn't ever say this to them. But here's the problem. If you can define the God you don't believe in, don't you believe in God? I mean, but, but, I, but I, honestly, that's not my intent. I really want to know, tell me what you see. And what's interesting, friends, to, to a person, after doing this for years and years and talking to me, so just tell me about the God you don't believe in. When they get done telling me what they don't believe in, I don't believe it either. Because they describe a God that's not, not accurate. What they describe that they don't believe in, any one of us would go, yeah, I don't believe that either. And so I begin to start the conversation by saying, would you believe that you and I are on the same exact page? Well, how can that be? I said, because what you just described, I don't believe that at all. My true and my sincere question is always just tell me what you don't believe in. I want to hear it. I want to know it. And then I say this, so would you be willing to have a dialogue with me about this God you don't believe in? And so then we begin to talk about it. Um, Now, what's interesting to me is this. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that the people who are nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus? I mean, think about that. The people, the people that should, should not have liked to be around holy things were the people who loved to be around the most holiest of things, the most holiest of people. They loved to be around him. You see, I'm convinced of something. Now, hear this very clearly. I'm convinced that if Christianity is not compelling, it's because we have somehow believed the wrong version of what Christianity is. If the story of Jesus Christ is not compelling, then somehow we've got the story wrong. Somehow my view of God is so distorted that my story is not compelling. Now, there's no judgment here in this next statement, though it sounds awfully judgmental, but I'll, I'll say it to myself. Friends, I know a lot of Christians who, quite honestly, their version of following Jesus is not compelling. Because I can't figure out what God they're following when I look at some believers and the absolute lack of joy in their life. When I look at so many believers, some of us, with the absolute absence of grace in their life, with the absence of tolerance in their life, with the absence of compassion in their life, I kind of look at them and I go, do they really know God? Because a person who knows Jesus Christ and the real Christ, there's a very compelling nature to everything about this person called Jesus. And that does not mean everyone will follow him. But it means that everyone who gets a hint of him from you has got to look twice and say, hmm, hmm. The story of Jesus is compelling. So what is it? If you've never given your life to Christ, it still holds you back. If you're talking to someone about Jesus, think to yourself, am I, am I telling the wrong story? Or if it's right, what might be holding them back? It helps you begin to think. I said that my theme today was the problem with being an atheist. Well, the problem is this. 
One of the things you hear as you're talking to people about spiritual things, I'm sure you heard it, is the statement that says, well, who needs God anyway? Right? I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's actually a reasonable statement. People live in their life and they're saying, you know what, I'm living my life just fine. Who needs God anyway? The purpose of my message today was to say to you this, so many Christians get discouraged. So many Christians feel like, oh, it's us against the world. You know, how, how are we gonna win the battle, blah, blah, blah. I got it. I want to tell you, do you know, if you ask the question, who needs God? Everybody does. Everybody does. So if you find yourself defeated because you think, ah, nobody, nobody cares about spiritual things. Trust me, they do. Even though they don't even know it sometimes. They don't know that they need a God versus let alone the God, but they do. Every value system that's in our world today that people say, well, I ascribe to that, including atheism, needs there to be a God. So start there and start the story and the conversation. If you've never given your life to Christ, I still have to ask you, why not? Why not? Next week, we're gonna talk about a story from scripture an incredible encounter one person has with a personal meeting with Jesus. Stand, please, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your truth, even though I didn't quote scripture. For your truth resonates. Your truth cannot be contained only in one book. It cannot be contained in the pages of Scripture. For your truth penetrates all parts of this world, universe, society, and culture. I'm thankful this morning that even without looking in verse by verse, in my own heart, I walk away encouraged. Because I realize again, who needs God? This world needs there to be a God, and we know the exact God they need, and it's you. Again, I ask, Lord Jesus, for the person who has not made the decision to follow you, somehow in their life, may there be a personal meeting where it's not just this abstract thing of being a Christian, but somehow they say, what am I going to do with you? And let that dialogue begin. Dismiss us today in your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Don't come up. <laughs>